are you gonna call? This is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a movie this week. We are covering, because you demanded it, Ghostbusters Afterlife. You didn't demand it, but audiences did demand it. Ghostbusters Afterlife has well overperformed, and so we thought, why not take this opportunity to get to the bottom of why this franchise has lasted <laughs> so many decades, <laughs> right? Uh, and why it's not, it doesn't have as many entries, at maybe, as you would think it would at this point. Mm. Um, it has a, a, a storied creation, and I'm excited to break it down with my good buddy Taylor today. <laughs> I don't know if you knew about Dan Aykroyd and his whole history with ghosts and the paranormal. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) We always talk about how things have to have some sort of personal connection. And he is explicitly, his great grandfather was a renowned spiritualist. Maybe this sounds familiar. If you go back to our episode on The Conjuring, I'll put a link to that in the show mm. notes. But spiritualism, because you had asked when we were talking about that, it's like, why were, how did this get started? Why were people obsessed with ghosts right. and ghost hunting and seances and all that? There was a religious movement that happened. I'm talking early 1800s. This oh is 1840s to the 1920s. This interest in mixing Christian influence in, in New England with the ideas of ghosts and spirits outside of that. So Dan Aykroyd's great-grandfather, Samuel Augustus Aykroyd, was a dentist in this time, but was interested in hypnotism as, I don't know whether he actually used it, but to control pain, since there are not a lot of good ways to do that then. (laughs) But he has all of these diaries and was in seances and was a leader in this spiritualist movement. The great, great Aykroyd. Yeah. (laughs) And it carries down. So his grandfather also was part of the Bell Telephone Company and experimented with radios to contact the dead. Oh, my God. His his books and seance practices get passed down. So his father- Right out of the gates, we got like major ingredients (laughs) for what kind of like it becomes Ghostbusters as we know it. (laughs) Yeah. So then his direct family, his mother has experiences with ghosts and his father- participate, you know, in seances in his family, there's this whole history of this spiritualist movement that has been passed down that Dan Aykroyd, the actor, has lived and has gotten the history of. You're kidding. This is crazy. This is not at <laughs> it's real all to him, how you know? I thought this was going to open, you know? You yeah. Know? <laughs> like, you know, I'm right. We're talking about movies and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. I'm ready for the literary angle most of the time. And I'm, I'm you know, I, yeah. I, I, knowing the creators of this, I'm, you know, I'm thinking I, I got, you know, like, well, okay, yeah, <laughs> Ghostbusters, we're really going to have to reach a little bit on the literary yeah. basis of this kind of thing, or like the, you know, the, yeah, yeah. the cultural significance predating it. Uh, you're, you're telling me <laughs> the Aykroyd family has yeah, been yeah. spiritualist professionals <laughs> for hundreds of years. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> And that they also were experimenting w- <laughs> with, yeah. the, you know, high technology at the time. Yeah, because anyway. that's the it's a it's a scientist. Yeah, yeah. I mean, approach. it makes sense as soon as you start saying it. I'm just like, mm-hmm. I'm. Oh, this is amazing. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so glad we actually that we actually yeah. did do this. <laughs> the book that I then read is called "A History of Ghosts," written by Dan Aykroyd's father. <laughs> this is insane. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> 
it, uh, Dude, this, seriously, this sounds yeah. like a joke. Are you joking me? Is this going to no. be like Woman in the Window where none of no, this is no. true? And Dan Aykroyd like wrote a fake biography or something? No, this is real. So <laughs> the book came out, though, after the success of Ghostbusters 2009. But it basically is all the stuff that I'm talking about. It's the history of his family and the history of the spiritualist movement oh my God. In, the, in Canada is where they're from. But mm-hmm. Dan Aykroyd, you know, he has a little blurb in it, but how he was influence then from all of their family seances and be inspired to write Ghostbusters. Write what you know. Oh my God. You didn't yeah, think exactly. Ghostbusters would live up to that. We haven't mm-hmm. even started the show hardly. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Welcome to Illiterate. I'm flabbergasted every week. <laughs> me as well. Me as well. Um, and then obviously though, he's an actor and he's doing this kind of stuff and he wanted to modernized, there was a string of comedic ghost films in the mid-1900s. So I'm Mm. talking like Abbott and Costello did a big one called Hold That Ghost in 1941. (laughs) Bob Hope was in one in 1940. These sort of slapstick pratfall. Hold that ghost. Yeah. (laughs) Wait a minute. (laughs) So getting the gang together, he is big with John Belushi wants kind of them to do the Abbott and Costello routine with mm-hmm. it. But his his original idea is much more exhaustive. It's interstellar battling through space and time, the supernatural threats. There are multiple ghost-busting teams. It's this big epic inter-timeline, interplanetary <laughs> insanity wow. um, that he's working on. Belushi, though, as we all know, died in 1982 Ivan Reitman to direct. Ivan Reitman had known it when Belushi was in and knew that it was all this intergalactic mess and would cost $200 million to make. And he's like, this is impossible. I got, I'll do it, but, but something different. And this is kind of the, I'm in, but you're nuts. This is (laughs) (laughs) right. Hey, I love that answer. He's like, yeah, never, this is never going to happen, but I want to be there for it. (laughs) I want to direct. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> One of the nutso things that then is another impact point is the divide between TV and film actors. And once the thing is made, really what it solidifies is that the crossover work from TV to film is possible. Agents, right. if you had a TV star, you're not getting called to put him in a feature. The trend is growing because, yeah, right, John Belushi was in Animal House in 78 and Bill Murray in Caddyshack in 80, but after Ghostbusters... All the studios are talking to TV personality agents, and and the wall is officially broken Just down. Just so funny to like pick that apart and contrast it against today, as we know for decades SNL has been a star maker. You take people <laughs> out of SNL yeah. and make and build movies around them. Uh, you mm-hmm. take pre-existing concepts and scripts and you attribute it to a, a a new hot SNL cast member that has a shtick, and you you can adapt well-known like uh, well-known scripts yeah. to okay that we can get them in it, and now the thing is different with them in it. Uh, it so it's bizarre to think about it now to, re- to like, contrast yeah. that back against where it was uh, back then. It's crazy that now that is the precedent. This, this was this the door that these people mm-hmm. that Belushi. Uh, Chevy Chase, yeah, you know th- these people were trying to break down these walls because it was so tribal at this mm-hmm. time. Yeah, so that's what this does when it does come out. But one of the figureheads that I had mentioned, Ivan Reitman, who is the director, as you said, he's in, but it's got to change. <laughs> it can't can't be this. So his whole thing then is focusing. I'll do on- a version of it. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> he wanted it to be more real, the realism, because the Marshmallow Man situation was in it from the beginning, and he loved that. He was skeptical <laughs> of it, but it's like Marshmallow can Man's days. Yeah, but it can only work if we focus on it being real, and then that will be right, more believable. It makes sense how looking at the Marshmallow Man in the scale of the the last few moments of the original movie, uh, it makes sense to see where like the whole movie was kind of sitting at that that level at that yeah. thousand feet level, uh, <laughs> and they brought it down to much more just it's 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 guys and and routine comedy and shtick, and then there's some effects, but it's really down to good writing. Yeah, and then the last few moments it gets this to this big scale. Um, so it's easy to see working backwards where, well, most of it was at this scale and then they had to step backwards, but they saved all and they made sure they put the correct <laughs> energy for that last 10 minutes. And one of the things in terms of talking about like scaling it back, writing it in a certain way, Ivan Reitman said, we got to get somebody else on this, which credit to Dan Aykroyd, because oftentimes people are like, no, this is my thing. Right. But Harold Ramis comes on to help co-rewrite the script. And that's part of it is setting it in New York City versus this whole intergalactic craziness, which that's another <laughs> impact point is celebrating New York City in a time when it's associated with financial issues, high crime rates. Literally, the last line of the film is, I love this town by the <laughs> by the main characters. So this is a it's uh, funny when you actually put it in its correct context i think that's probably lost on most people nowadays mm -hmm. certainly a young audience but when you have that in its correct context it's actually hilarious um, right <laughs> so i think if you had, if you had gone to see ghostbusters at the time that's a the rollover laughing line almost for the end but now it's you know it's almost campy and sweet and you don't really even understand what it's kind of even saying and how and even further i want to highlight how interesting it is we're talking about new york city for the second week in a row as a device coming oh, off right with clifford, clifford. yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> how um, the how a location can be used for good or <laughs> ill for the context of the story right yeah because the ill side of it talking about media even representing it the gritty New York City is crime collapsing at like just some films from the 70s, Taxi Driver, The Warriors, Escape from New York. It was not painted in this, oh yeah, we mm -hmm. love this town, this hard scrabble, yeah. like Spider-Man, where they're all, hey, you mess with one of yeah, us, you mess New with all of us. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. New York in the 70s was um, was a very, very different place. And it's, I think that is mm -hmm. what exactly what has been lost on the audience now you would show right. them the original ghostbusters and they, they wouldn't really get it wouldn't connect with it right. uh, the audience at the time fully understands what ghostbusters is even doing when they put the line in there at the end when they make <laughs> a movie like that about that right. place you know that's what the whole thing is is it's in the landscape at the angle that the artist yeah meant, you know yeah so. the, yeah the last bit of context that the artist meant that i was not privy to is the satire on the city government, academia, intellectuals, because this is being created at the beginning of this economic upswing in the 80s, Reaganomics, focusing on privatization, the free market. Mm. The Ghostbusters are emblematic of the private sector combating mm. the incapable government and the mayor, you know, <laughs> and all of that stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's under yeah. the guise of supernatural activity, but also the fact that like intentional or not, it's showing these sort of public service failings. They reside in a firehouse that's been dilapidated. They're driving an old ambulance, all these public yeah. service things that have been sold off to the private sector. 
is the, is a bigger, you know, That's academic. The whole, <laughs> by the end of it, they are a cobbled together like public service department. <laughs> you know, they right. ought to be co-opted by the local governments at a certain and that's that's what that's why they have the whole look and everything. You're so right yeah. about that. That's a that's a really interesting uh label to put on it because it's it's dead on. So if you were coming into this film in the early 80s, you would be more privy to that yeah. social satire that is another reason exactly. it was funnier than we might think not being around at that time. So it got funded from Columbia with this producer, Mr. Price. The only thing is if it can be done by June 1984. So this is 13 months to complete. At this point, there is no finished script. They don't have an effects studio or a start date for when they're going to get this thing <laughs> off the ground. Uh Hey, we're greenlit. (laughs) The one thing that they did have that they actually didn't have, which is another (laughs) impact piece, is the title, the name. Because now this has become so ubiquitous. The Buster's suffix was used in advertising for airlines, dentistry, real estate. You know, it was- Right. It It seems like a no-brainer now. Right. (laughs) That name was uh, restricted. There already was something kind of like like we talked about with Fast and the Furious. Oh, yeah. It was a uh, universal slash filmation as this company. They made a kid's show, live action sitcom in the 1970s called The Ghost Busters Separated the Word. Oh, Uh, interesting. I've never heard this. Yeah, I'll post some links. It's bizarre. It's only 15 episodes and it's two guys and a gorilla or a guy in a gorilla suit. (laughs) And it's very slapstick comedy- odd (laughs) didn't last very long but they had the name literally ghostbusters so yeah what happened was a bit of filmic hollywood business jujitsu the producer at columbia became the the guy mr price who then who was on ghostbusters and approved it he early on in the production switched over and became the head of universal pictures and so he he sold it to columbia for five hundred thousand dollars plus one percent of the profits wow um but back to the writing process, because they still have this kind of bizarre script. They know what it needs to be, but haven't put it together. But they have a deadline. So everybody's getting together, and they work for two weeks straight in Dan Aykroyd's basement. No motivator like a deadline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Harold Ramis comes in, and he's the refiner and getting the dialogue together. And also, he worked more with Bill Murray. He can kind of write for him. Mm-hmm. And they neared a final draft by August. The the way they got Bill Murray because he's notoriously non-committal. You know, it could be a week before, and he he refuses to sign anything. So even then, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So he was not on until it, it was kind of a good faith thing with the producer who was saying, "I'll fund your passion project, The Razor's Edge." That was then going into filming and hoping, well, this mm. will secure his commitment because it's no loss to us. It's not expensive if it doesn't do well. The first shooting day was in October after they had finished the script in August, and they were still unsure if Murray had read the script when he showed up on set. Wow. The production process then, kind of harping on the chaos of it, the equipment was designed, you know, the proton packs and all that stuff in six weeks before it started filming. Wow. It was edited while it was being shot because they had to hit this summer deadline. And because it's also so effects laden, you had to shoot it in the way you storyboarded. You can't futz around and do different things or even very many takes. I heard uh, Bill Murray explain 
how during the post process, because it's so crammed, how in, while they were still shooting, they went to have a meal at a, at a Ivan Reitman's house and they were able to see part of it cut together. And that totally changed his perspective on what they were doing. And he went mm. back to work the next day, basically knowing that they were going to have a hit because of what he saw in the dailies. Uh, yeah. or, or, what we, he saw in a rough cut uh, <laughs> at the director's house, which is pretty rare, especially for this time, because you're dealing with film. Uh, you're, you're, you're typically, the, you don't see it until, if you're the actor, if you're the talent, you don't see it until months later. Yeah. That was so much the case then, given the technology. Yeah. That while they were in the middle of it, it was so run and gun, they were editing on top of it, that being able to see it while he was doing it, just even mm -hmm. a glimmer, changed his whole perspective on finishing. Fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The, the curse of maybe this is a disaster and we're just it's, flying by exactly. the seat of our pants gives you more perspective. I mean, you have to think yeah. of it. You don't, Ghostbusters doesn't exist and they're out there like putting a gun in the air. Okay. And hold. <laughs> And hold the hold the fog and on fog one, you know, and it's, they feel ridiculous. Nobody knows right. what a proton pack is, you know. Right. So, and like we said, it's, this is going to work. Yeah, it's a reference to these old films from the '40s and '50s that have fallen out of favor of people going around looking for ghosts in abandoned places. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you know. I, you have to kind of give it to him to a degree. I mean, that's the work of an yeah. actor is you kind of, you have to, you have to be beholden to everybody, the whole process and everybody involved in it, but you really are, are at the behest of everybody else's talents. That brings us to another impact point, which now is massive, big budget stuff, but this wave of blockbusters of mixing of genres, this experiment that they're doing is now the default for all these big budget things. You want a bit of comedy, a bit of horror, a bit of adventure. Now look at any film that's over $150 million and it's got all of those things. Obviously it was started by Star Wars, but this really cements it as as the way forward. So this is just 84. Yeah. Uh, Star Wars, 77. Jaws is just before that, 75. Like the idea of the blockbuster is so fresh at this mm -hmm. point now you're getting to the point where you, you can actually you have you're seeing people try to assemble the pieces what mm -hmm. what what will be a hook you know what what's something that'll be lasting <laughs> yeah yeah with expanding this idea of blockbuster and all of these different genres merged into one the rare thing at the time was the merchandise and this is only because the star wars merch was so successful you know tying right. in with that the logo the Ghostbusters crossed out red thing. <laughs> it's the only one thereafter was kind of Jurassic Park that also did that with a with a right. diegetic logo. And that's but, almost not. That's nine years later. So that yeah. you know, it's not very so often that you actually get one of these things that sticks. Um, yeah, it was such an unexpected success in that way that they didn't capitalize on this merchandise plan at the peak of its popularity. So a lot of the no ghosts logo was on products from other companies and licensing it out. Mm. Um, it comes about later when the property expands that the merchandise really, they, they didn't, they didn't have a ton of stuff going out. 
you're Straight learning away. all of that stuff at the time. Mm-hmm. That's how new it is. That's how fresh it is. This this is what built the industry that we know now. now <laughs> this is kind of second nature stuff now. But at the time, they didn't yeah. even like they didn't know what was appropriate to support the the demand. Yeah. Another thing that had huge demand was the song in the crazy production oh. process. They knew they wanted a theme songy sort of thing in the for the montage in the middle. And they allegedly went through 50 or 60 songs that were submitted and got Ray Parker Jr. And he said they only gave him three days to make this song. Wow. He said, do you want to do this? He said, sure. He had seen a cheap commercial late at night and saw it kind of, oh, this would be an advertising promo for <laughs> right. their business, which is also genius because then it becomes a diegetic piece to it. And Beautiful. Although they did... Uh, have a big issue again, like with the Ghostbusters name, there was a plagiarism lawsuit between Huey Lewis and them (gasps) because there is a very similar song that he wrote called I want a new drug. I'll post a link to it. Oh no. You can see how it's different, but also very similar. And this was settled out of court. Similar too to in tone and style is I was just thinking Huey Lewis in the news mm-hmm. because of the song in Back to the Future, right? Uh, and I was off, you know, just well, yeah. I was I <laughs> well, was considering the nature of the two songs mm-hmm. is one is using is diegetically it you know built into the story using yeah, yeah. lines that we know in the movie, and then the other there's seemingly like no connection to the song in the film <laughs> whatsoever. And I was sitting there thinking about how you know if you don't have lines or a direct thematic connection an overt like you know mm-hmm. an overture to the you know something from the na- you know the yeah, dna yeah. of the film i don't believe it as an actual song like an original song <laughs> for your movie that yeah. happens all the time in the industry so it's i'm just appreciating the ghostbusters you know it's built mm-hmm. in diegetically it's part of the world of the thing it's just it's beautiful it's so authentic yeah um uh, and I'm, it's it's so great, uh, you know, having even, you know, him coming in to do the song and putting the thought in of where how what it would be. be oh, it's a, it's yeah. a kind of jingly thing, giving it that 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 natural development that it needs to fit into the story instead of just like, well, I've got this demo line or <laughs> slap that, you know, oh, yeah, that sounds good. Like Back yeah. to the Future, whatever. I can't even sing the Back to the Future song right now. Anyway. Yeah, it, it is interesting, too, that it was so quick. Three days. Like I, I was not privy That's to the amazing. fact that the whole Ghostbusters production process was slapdash put together, figure this yeah. out, build an effects studio, get a song. They put finished it in the script there. in August. They're shooting in October. You yeah. know, in, okay. <laughs> That's that's pretty, has Bill that's Murray read impressive. it. We don't know. Yeah. Yeah. No. Wait, is he signed on? Well, he shook my hand and winked. So, yeah. And we're going to make his other film. So maybe he'll be nice. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> so here comes then the rubber meeting the road. They give it to test audiences in February. There's unfinished effects. But really, Ivan Reitman wants to see is the comedy going to work? Because that's what we're hedging this on. It's branded as a comedy like for real, film. There's like a dozen effect shots. They really need the backbone of this to work, which is, you know, our actors. The SNL cast. And, and yeah, yeah. And branding it as such. So they grab 200 random people off the streets of Burbank, throw them into a theater and say, check this out. What do you think? And there's fear. There's laughs. There's applause. The marshmallow scene gets a good reaction. This is the thing that Ivan Reitman is most worried about. And he says, oh, well, this looks to be on track for kind of what we want it to be. Big exhale. (laughs) (laughs) Inhale, they throw it to an industry audience 
and nobody Ooh. laughs. Oh, nobody. No. In, but they're also saying that they're critical because they have competing endeavors also and want it to fail to a degree. You know, it's, it's like art school. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I had seen a quote. There was an executive that had said to Bill Murray's agent, don't worry, we all make mistakes. Oh, at no. The, end of the screening. No, no, no. How horrible. Oh, uh, just ribbing you, just seeing if they can take a pound out of you. Yeah. So he knows it. And, ha- like, and, and he knows he's got a hit. He went back to set the next day knowing they had it. <laughs> I so mean, you don't know these things, but he had a feeling. Yeah. Look at it. Look at him. You gotta you gotta you gotta stick to your guns. You gotta believe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that it's <laughs> consistent. Yeah. We'll see. It was in the top three grossing films for 16 straight weeks and wow. did not leave the cinema until after 30 weeks from June to January. This thing is on oh screens. Gosh. Oh my gosh. Also hard to imagine because within this year, also coming out that it's competing against is Gremlins, Karate Kid, Terminator, Nightmare on Elm Street, The NeverEnding Story. <laughs> 1984 is a huge year. So no, so nothing was coming out. <laughs> right. So it really was a clear, open landscape Best choice. for them to yeah. dominate. <laughs> you know, nothing of consequence. Uh, you know, that's so that's actually really amazing. And I don't want to jump the gun here because right. the you know, that's exactly the opposite for what happens for the second film. Mm. Well, we'll jump to that in a second. I just wanted to throw out some oddities and some things that were a little bit before that, that then propels them to try and do this second film. One of the other confusing things is Bill Murray after this did not act for another four years. Good Lord. Kind of in the duality of this film is such a massive radioactive property, as he put it. It's like he, it's almost like he can't, do anything else. And then also that thing that they let him do gave him funding for the razor's edge that he wanted was a failure. And so it was kind of this bizarre, like, oh, this other thing that I did that I showed up on set in October exploded. And now that's all I am. And this thing I really liked failed horribly. That's a lesson. That's life. You know, you can, okay, I'll do this, but I'll get to the thing that I want. And then the thing you do in kind is a favor. The, shoots into the stratosphere. <laughs> and the thing that you made that deal over, the only reason you even did that to begin with, so you could get mm-hmm. to the thing you wanted to do, just fizzles out. Yeah. That's a gut punch. Very interesting that then he takes some time off. Yeah. So he's already a conflicting character when it comes to being involved in things. But yeah. here, here we'll see it, it intersperses with property going onward. Because now... They got wind of that the merchandise is doing stuff, so they just explode with merchandise by 86. Lord. And this this is where the animated spinoff, which I was never aware of that much, but obviously Yeah, this in research, this was new to me too. I had not, I was not privy to the, it was like long running. It ran for years yeah. until like 1990 or 91. Like yeah, it was that. six years <laughs> that it was running. And uh, yeah, I, I think also because with the merch then, it, it gets catered more towards children and children's TV shows, an animated TV show, mm-hmm. oddly called The Real Ghostbusters. Because <laughs> that love... stuff you've been watching at the theater, that's the knockoff <laughs> Well, so what happened, here comes back with this uh, <laughs> Ghostbusters weird live action sitcom that was around in the 70s. So again, Ghostbusters is booming. Oh, God. This company, Filmation, they offered to make the series because they had the rights to the name, but- Columbia 
got another company to do it, they still owned the rights to do it as an animated series with that name. So there is an animated show that ran for 65 episodes called Ghostbusters, and it's got the two guys and the gorilla and uh another so they uh based on, so they <laughs> lent their name out to something which got popular and then based on then that notoriety were able to revive themselves a show called and Ghostbusters and make, <laughs> make more Ghostbusters with the gorilla yeah so the real one is called the real Ghostbusters <laughs> the real Ghostbusters <laughs> which is weird well uh, at least uh, you know it feels like Columbia should have probably just had them make the the, the thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah what they were trying to go after henceforth is this sequel that you had teased. And some right. of the background Hollywood stuff is there was a new chairman for Columbia Pictures that comes on in 86, and he wants to differentiate himself from the legacy of the other chairman of Columbia. So his whole oh, deal no. is yeah. smaller films, more of a world market, European foreign language films. He's not interested in... Huh this big budget sequel. <laughs> so that's something I don't think people are necessarily aware of. It's it's like you think Hollywood, oh, they want to slap on it as quickly as possible. Not if there's a changing of the guard and he does not. Yeah, interested. no. Yeah. And that anytime you hear somebody being, uh, you know, brought on new at a studio, that's commonly the connotation is to think, OK, well, generally anything that was going on is completely dead. Uh, yeah. Because this person is going to start fresh and do their their new things. Um, it's not always the case, but there there's going to be articles about them continuing it as going against like the norm. Yeah, uh, and everything that was in process is completely distanced. So the other thing I had seen with this guy is apparently he attacked Bill Murray and his talent agent, and sort of oh, wow. <laughs> diminished him as an actor and saying he's in it for you know, his gains and he doesn't care about the art of it and all this stuff. And so also, wait, uh, hold on. Who is he talking about? Hold on. Bill Murray. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, I mean, <laughs> right, right. Yeah. <laughs> and then also slandered his talent agent who also represented Ackroyd, Ramus and Reitman. So it was just like, oh, well, he knows how to do business. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> coupled with, they did not do the voices for the animated show. They're not wanting to do a sequel for another three years. You know, it's it's just business, 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 Hollywood. So they they end up getting a script for it, getting it together. Everybody agrees to come back, but with one of these tests, they after a test screening, they had to refilm the entire final twenty five minutes of the ending because it Good just Lord. sank dead. And then also in terms of the tone, I haven't seen it, but seems to be more serious it it lacks a little bit of the childlike fantasy well uh, it it's interesting because it comes back after so long right. and you find the ghostbusters as kind of beat down and trodden <laughs> right. because they're having to uphold they've kind of become the poster boys for this in the other in the first one they basically succeeded in proving the paranormal is a real thing yeah and so it's been so long since that happened they're like overrun. They're exhausted with being. Worthy. It's a very, it's a very interesting parallel with yeah. what's happened to these actors and the creative team in between the two movies. Because I think they're yeah. really, you really see it uh, <laughs> borne out on the screen in the second film. Is that that it's not really a joke when you see them like doing commercials for things, putting the Ghostbusters name on something that just seems like a, you know, yeah. some sort of corporate 
hack tie-in. Like they're commenting on themselves. It's a really mm-hmm. interesting place. And I think now is a better way to maybe where the first film yeah. maybe depends on its context a little more than people realize. I think this the sequel maybe is better contextualized after time. Right. Because it's easy to see this as a timeline now, seeing how the the second film is really them commenting in the moment. Um, mm. They pick it up in the moment so many years later, and these guys are just done. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know that. It, 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 I think also tying into something we talked about long ago in our Shrek episode with them competing against Disney, Disney and DreamWorks, and their release schedules and all of that kind of stuff. At the same time this is coming out, two other films maybe are stealing from them in the sense that Batman is mm. taking the teenage audience that was interested oh, in more. Oh, yeah. That's exactly what I was going to say. When, when I, yeah. Yeah. When the first movie comes out and it runs from June to January, nothing can knock it off. Uh, yeah. Ghostbusters 2 comes out. It's number one for a weekend. And then Batman comes out the next weekend and sinks mm-hmm. it for the summer. Right. Uh, that's and then the difference. In the other side of things as well, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids takes the family audience that would be interested uh, in sort of a pseudo supernaturally wacky thing. So, yeah. <laughs> Rick, what are he's you doing, double, Moranis? Du- double dipping. Um, uh, he has well, you know, yeah. <laughs> you got you, you got it. You got to. You yep. got to. And look, yep. we have those two beautiful movies. <laughs> yeah. So, like you're saying with the tiredness and Bill Murray coming back. He's definitely not interested after this. He did not enjoy the process or the outcome. Although it's Dan Aykroyd's baby. They all have rights to it, though, but he keeps still trying to pursue sequel ideas. This is where it's interesting to me because it's the win to do it is such a th- it's such an interesting mm-hmm. thing because I think now we're maybe after the fourth film now we're thinking, well, maybe there's always a time to do it, but that being such a a worry it takes him so long to pump out the second movie and then oh is that (laughs) what holds it up for another you know almost 20 years you know like that's what it is the trepidation around this was it did it irrevocably damage the property (laughs) so much that they couldn't actually make another film on a wildly successful property for 20 years i think the the thing that we're coming to see with this hopefully i'll illuminate it some more is a bigger factor perhaps than just the public sentiment of the sequel is the creative team behind it. They all have a stake in it and it has to be a unanimous thing. So until Murray's interested, until these other people are also, you know, Ivan Reitman wants to get the script right and so on, it isn't going anywhere. They know that that's the reason people will go to see it is if they're all back together again. Looking back, I mean, I look at them now, they've got the second movie out the door bridging into the 90s it looking back i feel like the 90s is missing the ghostbusters and well it's all the merch yeah it's this mythology i know all all of it's there all of the all of the wake is washing up on the shores but it feels as if it was primed to okay maybe the second one wasn't as good as the first one i think time is telling us that it's maybe not as bad as everybody wanted to make it out to be but 
if they had just done a third one, then done. There was enough <laughs> gusto to actually get it done. Yep. Looking back, I look at the '90s and go, like, this was a property that was born to thrive mm-hmm. in the '90s. Actually, yeah. when I look at the second movie, it gives you an idea of what this would have looked like in a, you know, hyper studio, studio like you know, cinematic universe jingle. thing. Yeah. yeah, I'm like, or like you know, like Jingle All the Way styles <laughs> production. You know, Arnold Schwarzenegger stuff. That, that in the middle of the yeah, '90s, yeah. it almost it feels like it has a home right there gremlins too let's yeah, do it. Yeah. <laughs> you know like it feels like it should exist and yet it doesn't and, if, yeah. and that's that's what's happened to this property the last uh 30 years is looking at it as and being like everybody has been waiting for this elusive third film yeah that seemingly never comes together they're talking about it actively all so, through that decade i found a very interesting thing that technically it did come together i don't know if you're familiar with Ghostbusters, the video game, sounds right. Simple enough. This came out in two thousand nine. Right. Primary, you know, consoles. That, PS3, that's Xbox, now looking back is considered to be the real the third movie. <laughs> right. So it's interesting in the sense that it's a video game format. They're all back and they're training a new recruit, which is you. But all the voices and likenesses are reprised. Bill Murray agreed to do it. Ackroyd and Ramis did script doctoring on it. Decently well received, sold over three million copies. From what I had seen, um, you know, the, the Ackroyd and them, they couldn't. They they loved working on it. They wanted yeah. <laughs> to make it as good as they could possibly make it. They said they could not have been can, paid more money to work actively on trying to make that game as funny as that first movie. Uh, yeah, I mean, Ackroyd said it was essentially the third movie. Those are his words. Yeah. Like he, yeah. So that's we, very much what the fandom sees to uh, has come to view it as in yeah. retrospect. But it's not. I mean, unless you're a video game junkie or you're just really keen on Ghostbusters, it doesn't pop to the general public seeing the yeah. logo at a on a T-shirt in, in Target or whatever. So, right. what it does show to Hollywood and other people, there's there's still life in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so. They they notice that they've overcome Bill Murray's reluctance. This then creates renewed interest for a new film. So Harold Ramis has a new script, and his latest movie was Year One. So it's co-written by the comedy team of writers working on that. And Columbia had also done the uh, Office, the American version of the Office. So, oh, interesting. Um, yeah, that. So that 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 kind of made sense. Right, right. <laughs> to, Although, to a degree, you know, like there, there was, yeah. you know, Bill Murray, I know, commented on saying that, like, there was something to that combination that he was interested in. Although Columbia then wanted the elder Ivan Reitman out of the picture because they're saying, oh, well, mm. now times have moved on and this is for a younger audience. And what does he know and whatnot? Mm. You know, mm. that's that's the, the angry way of putting it. But quit um, attacking our team, Columbia. <laughs> Although. You know, for all it's worth, Murray also then said he wasn't as keen on the script. It was poor. And so with all of this reluctance in 2012, they dropped that version and Reitman suggests, well, let's just reboot the whole darn thing with an all new cast because this has not been working out. Nobody can agree. All of that. Was that the same? Was that the same version that where they were going to go to hell? (laughs) <laughs> no, 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 no. That was previous. Yes. <laughs> that's a whole different other iteration that. I, yeah. No, okay. For real. We haven't even really said this, though. Ghostbusters 3 almost happened like three or four different times for real, where they had full versions of drag. Like they had full drag. Yeah. 
So that was in <laughs> that between just, Ghostbusters. Yeah, that was in between Ghostbusters two and the video game with all of the different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's what they were doing downs. through the nineties, right? <laughs> um, and they were working on this idea, getting that version of the movie off the ground. It seemed like for fifteen years. Yeah. So with all of that, finally, it sounds ridiculous yeah, to me. Yeah, but so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they're trying. They're trying. The video game is a light in the tunnel somewhere, but then it still is collapsing. And then the big piece. When Reitman finally throws his hands in the air and says, why don't we do just, you know, none of us can agree on any of this. Harold Ramis passes in 2014. And so then it's really like, well, now it really can't happen. And we have all been holding it back. So they all agreed, everybody involved, all the actors and Reitman and whoever owned pieces of it to sell the rights back to Columbia. And Mm -hmm. there are no details on it, but he said that the creators will be enriched for the rest of our lives and the rest of our children's lives. Like you can only imagine how much they're paying to get this. And so this is then immediately the 2016 film comes out with the all female Mm -hmm. Ghostbusters because, I mean, hopefully we can see how this progresses. It's not just a let's do this finally randomly. It all got figured out. It's, It's a progression of trying to get it to be something and it not working with the original cast. Although, I mean, I haven't seen the movie. We all know it was embroiled in a lot of backlash and yeah there was a lot of gross backlash attributed to it i think i think it had a really unfair go in the public eye and again we, we, let's put the correct context on it because it wasn't like an abysmal failure it wasn't a rock but it was not great in terms of box office return but i it, i didn't go for the same reason i guess most other people didn't go is I guess they're just not the Ghostbusters. I don't know. Like, I, they're, right. like they're, there's nothing wrong with any of those cast members. There's nothing wrong with any of really the team I see around that movie other than like you can't make something new and then slap a name on it and tell me it's <laughs> the old thing. It's not. I, I would have respected yeah. and maybe shown up for that movie if they were their own team of paranormal comedy women investigators <laughs> i you know yeah take a shot on that i don't know does it need the ecto one you know what i mean that's yeah. kind of that's the reason i didn't go i don't know the vitriol I, I, against it is, yeah there yeah. was a lot of gross like there was a lot of grossness around it i don't really understand right what in the world there is to be upset over a kate mckinnon movie right <laughs> like with knowing what we know as well now also of like the either the fan base or just the people trying to put it together if it wasn't the original people no matter what people are going to be incensed yeah, by I it think that was all yeah but they couldn't do it exactly, clearly because yeah. here we are yeah, exactly they couldn't nobody could decide over <laughs> over 20 over 25 right. years nobody could decide nobody could agree and so they had to and it was the only way and they should have done it they should have right. done it in the 90s i sound yeah. like trump but they should have <laughs> sold it all they should yeah. have all sold it all way earlier so that that look, as soon as they do, as soon as they sell it, consolidate the property. That way it's not hinging on everybody. Consolidate yeah. the property. And then a movie comes out. Look, wow. Right. <laughs> and here we are now with this movie where they're making, a, I guess, a proper, even though it's further in time, sequel directed by Jason, son of Ivan. Yeah. It seems that they have made the correct decisions here um that columbia and sony have come around to actually look at this with a with a 
analytical eye and allow, I think the key here is Ivan Reitman's son, which is an incredible filmmaker in his own right, to have him stepping into this franchise, stepping into his father's, I mean, this is his father's shadow. This is father created this thing with these guys. Yeah. To have him coming in, it gives the the attention to detail that only somebody like this could hardly uh, understand. It is over the top in terms of uh, its development and the way that it intricately works with the first film. Yeah, uh, this is a an astute screenwriter who's looking yeah. at the story and the setting in a very real, tactile manner and is expanding those thematics in appropriate directions. And also, it's like, you know, is this the most amazing, multi-layered, nuanced thing in the universe? Probably no. not, but oh, neither was the probably, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, <laughs> put together a different creative team, open it up, expand it so that people that don't know this or it's fallen out of favor can see it in a new light and, and understand why there's a ghost with an arrow through it right. at Walmart. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. become, exactly, it's become so ubiquitous that, we, that we've forgotten, you know, and, and I say this more as the younger generation maybe needs some explaining on what it even is or why it was funny. We've, got, we've covered extensively today, however, why the first movie was funny in its era at its time and why, how that might totally go by a 10-year-old now yeah. or whatever. This new movie really serves to introduce that 10-year-old and anybody else to the Ghostbusters. This is really the story of kids discovering the Ghostbusters. Yeah. That is the story, is is, is reintroducing this to uh, an updated audience. I hate to not mention it if we were to close before discussing it, but Ernie Hudson's Winston character, who is the fourth guy recently had come out as saying, you know, because it's kind of a love-hate thing where he thought he was going to be in it from page eight with the rest of them. And then when he got on mm. set, they were like, no, you're coming in on page 68. And there was nothing mm. that he could be done about it. And he was, not to spoil anything, but rectified in the new one as far as his character getting mm -hmm. more and getting his due and getting maybe some continuation with it, which I think is also a piece That's of- That's cool. You know, because yeah. Evan and I are also not, we always love new things, but it's interesting to dissect. That's the onus of the show is like, why are things coming back? What is being adapted? And it seems like after many, many false starts, this is like, well, let's give it a new something while trying to keep with the old. And Yeah, I mean, it very much. I mean, in a lot of broad strokes, it's a remake. Uh, yeah, in, yeah. <laughs> in very, very loose. Not in New York. Strokes. Yeah. <laughs> It's yeah. not in New York, and you have to look at it from that perspective. But it, it, there's a lot about it that is very, very much a remake in terms of the broad motions. I mean, they're yeah. bringing back the original villain. They are redoing this, and they're, and it is a dis. It, what it is is children, you know, rediscover, you know, rediscovering yeah. <laughs> grandpa. Um, but what it they is want. the audience yeah. rediscovering Ghostbusters, and yeah, it is the same story. But when it comes down to using Ghostbusters and everything presented in the first two movies, this is the best that I've seen in terms of these like soft reboots, yeah. you know, multi-generational reboots. It's, it's, it, it, this might be the best. Yeah. So if you love Ghostbusters, are we dead wrong on this? Do you think it's a piece of garbage and you hate yeah, what trash. they're doing with it and they should leave <laughs> they well enough? They defiled it. Yeah. To the nth degree. <laughs> or are you like, let's see some fresh blood. Let's see some new people. It's a fun idea to have people hunting ghosts through science. I mean, 
They have been trying to get in some new Ghostbusters since (laughs) the first movie, basically. They've been now the second. They've been trying to introduce a new team, update, a fresh update. What? We need to actually do it. Is this an opportunity to actually pass that torch? Really fascinating. We'll see where it goes. And like Evan said at the top, the only reason we're really covering this is because it made money, because people wanted to see it. So did you enjoy it? Please reach out to us. Reach out to us at IlliteratePod on Instagram. But uh, No, thank you guys so much for listening. As always, uh, let us know what you are reading. Let us know what you're excited about coming out on Netflix or in theaters. You never know when we're going to do an episode about something you want to know all about. Thank you all for listening, and we will catch you next week. Thank you.